Governor J.B. Pritzker delivered his fifth State of the State address this week, announcing a new plan to make child care and preschool available to every Illinois toddler who needs it. It's called Smart Start Illinois, and it will make our state the best place in the nation to raise young children. But can the state of Illinois afford bold new programs like this? We'll talk about that on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker delivered a combined budget address and state-of-the-state speech on Wednesday. In it, he proposed a nearly $50 billion budget that includes a new $250 million plan to greatly expand preschool and child care throughout Illinois. He's also proposing increases in K-12 education, higher education, and other services. But as we all know, Illinois was hard-pressed to even balance its budgets in the not-so-distant past, and it still has a staggering amount of debt and unfunded pension obligations. So that raises the question, as popular and necessary as preschool and child care may be, can Illinois really afford this? Here to talk about that is someone who has spent a lot of time analyzing state budgets and finances in Illinois, Ralph Martiri. He's a professor of public policy at Roosevelt University in Chicago and the executive director of the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability. Ralph, thank you for being here. Uh, Happy to be on the program, Peter. How are you? Good. Also here with us is Capital News Illinois' State House Bureau Chief, Jerry Nowicki. Hey, Peter. Hey, Ralph. Hey. How are you doing, Jerry? Doing well. So, you... Uh, Ralph, you wrote an analysis after the governor's speech in which you gave him credit for at least turning the state's financial condition around and pointing it in the right direction. So let's start with a big question. Can Illinois really afford to take on bold new programs like Smart Start Illinois? Well, the answer is yes and no. It's, it's, It's a more complicated thing when you really start digging into the state's fiscal condition, then a simple answer would be. So right now, the state's in the best fiscal position it's been in the last 25 years. And and in fact, the Pritzker administration has been the most responsible fiscal steward of the state's finances since I've been doing public policy work. So that goes back to Governor George Ryan in the year 2000. So he's really done a good job. That said... Uh, we've had a couple of record revenue years here due to a number of factors that really aren't innate to the fiscal system itself, but rather, you know, exterior economic events like a bunch of pent up consumer spending that happened post pandemic, uh, cor- corporate price gouging that happened during the pandemic and the supply chain issues where they ran up their prices because they knew they could. And a number of other high inflation rates, all these things have led to record revenues, which have masked some of the state's long-term fiscal problems. So the good news is Governor Pritzker has consistently throughout his administration opted to take excess revenue and use it to do things like pay down a backlog of bills or build up the rainy day fund rather than just build it into new base spending. Well, now that we have such a significant 
bump in revenue for this year that was unanticipated. This last year alone was $4.9 billion. He's finally making some investments in the kind of services that will create a better tomorrow in Illinois. And we should be making these investments. But to be able to sustain them into the future, we're still going to need some fiscal reforms. So, Ralph, if I can jump in there, were you a bit uh, surprised at all by the $49.9 billion revenue estimate this year? It seems to me that they're expecting a continued high level of revenue, even as some of those things you just noted are sort of going away. Yeah, well, the economy is still humming along at a really good pace. And at some point, and, and I know you've heard this yourself, Jerry, that they're anticipating a downturn in the coming year. And it's really when that downturn hits and how significant it will be. But a lot of the revenue numbers will still be somewhat inflated, I think, in the coming year, just because of the rates of inflation and the continued robust growth in consumer spending. In fact, consumer spending really rebounded after a relatively, you know, lackluster holiday season. In the last month, consumer spending has been up way more than they expected. So we will see. But I, but I, I do think at some juncture in the next two to three years, we will see a fiscal cliff where the revenue generation will go back to historic rates. And, and the cliff, it's not going to be as bad as it would have been in the past. They did some tax reforms. They, re, they eliminated some corporate tax breaks that saved the state about or generate about another 665, 670 million in revenue every year. So that's going to additionally be in the base. But I, but I do think they're going to see a cliff in the two to three billion dollar range somewhere in the next three to four years. And, and, and so they have some time to, you know, fix, you know, in our minds, the biggest problem, the pension ramp, which is ridiculously backloaded. It is unaffordable. And it wastes taxpayer money on debt service unnecessarily. There's a number of things they could do to refinance, re-amortize, whatever words you want to use that debt to flatten out the payments, make them more affordable but for the state, yet still get the systems completely healthy. And that is at least 80% funded by the current scheduled end of the term of the ramp, which is 2045. They need to do that. They need to look at their sales tax base. It's way too narrow. We have the most narrow base of any state with a sales tax. But they now got they've probably got a couple of years to work on getting these reforms done. Okay, you also wrote that this budget is balanced in one sense of the word, in that uh, this year's spending is equal to or less than the projected revenues. Uh, but you said the the picture is a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, there's so technically, when it comes to governmental accounting, uh, what they are required to do is achieve an on-budget balance. And on-budget just means you just look at the items on that budget year. So it would be your revenue projected for the year versus your expenditures projected for the year. If your revenues are at least equal to your projected expenditures, you have on-budget balance. And Governor Pritzker was right to say, it was accurate to say, that they had on-budget on, on balance the last four years. The problem is that doesn't account for any accumulated deficit. The accumulated deficit is just the unpaid bills remaining at the end of one fiscal year that carry forward into the next. And in Illinois, those numbers have been significant. In fact, it's over $7 billion in, in 2020. Now, once again, to the Pritzker administration's great credit, 
they've whittled that unpaid bill number down significantly so that it's at lowest level it's been in 20, 25 years. That's kind of amazing. So at the end of this upcoming fiscal year, 2024, uh, using the numbers from the governor's budget proposal, the accumulated deficit, the unpaid bills that will be left will be about $1.4 billion, which, you know, is, is really not significant. And in fact, they could have had true balance this year if they had opted to not build up the UI trust fund. But once again, I think that was a very responsible fiscal decision to make. So they're going to put from the general fund using revenue from both 2023 and 2024, just about $1.8 billion into their unemployment insurance trust fund to get that to exactly where it should be. And, and they have to use general fund revenue to do that. But normally you don't fund the UI trust fund out of general fund revenue. So the bottom line is, if they didn't make that fiscal decision, which, by the way, is a responsible one, they would have had true budget balance this year. Okay. Uh, the budget also calls for a $350 million increase in what's called evidence-based funding for K-12 schools. That's the minimum amount required under the 2018 law that overhauled the state school finance system. But there were people, and you were part of a panel testifying before a House committee, uh, some education advocates are saying that the increase should be even more than that, maybe upwards of $550 million. Uh, where do you fall on that question? Yeah, I, well, I definitely fall, uh, since I testified to the effect uh, earlier this week, on, on it should be increased. So just two seconds on the evidence-based funding formula. You know, it, when, when that passed in Illinois in 2017, fiscal year 2018, it, the state went from having the absolute worst school funding formula in America, as in the least equitable, the least adequate, to having the best. The model that we've now incorporated into our state funding system only invest taxpayer money in those educational practices which the research show actually enhance student achievement over time, so it funds what works. And the model actually has automatic adjustments in it based on the demography of a school district so that additional resources are generated to account for your low-income status, your English learner status in your district, your special needs status. So it's a great model. Now, we're short of funding. The, the legislation itself says that at least $350 million of new money will be put in by the state every single fiscal year until the, uh, until the model is fully funded. That sort of was always intended to be the minimum kick-in. Uh, and the, the EBF itself also says that the model is supposed to be fully funded within 10 years of its initial implementation. Well, that would be by fiscal year 2027. So if we keep just putting in this $350 million, we won't actually fully fund this model until fiscal year 2038. We'd lose another generation of children to an underfunded school system, and that's just not okay, especially when we have a little additional revenue. So rather than just throw in the minimum, which was never supposed to be the target amount or the full amount, it would behoove the state to bump that up this year when they have a little additional revenue, get up to that $550 million range. And if they kept it there, which I would suggest they do, that they could fully fund this model by 
about fiscal year 2030, three years later than initially intended, but saving a whole generation of students from having to attend K-12 in a system that's underfunded. And, and when we say students, it's primarily low-income kids and black and brown kids. And so it really would make a difference from a social and economic justice standpoint, in addition to just being really good school funding policy. So, Ralph, you had mentioned the the cliff of potentially two to three billion dollars, and now we're talking about five hundred and fifty million dollars in, in raised uh, education each year. Even at three hundred and fifty million, then you have the child care that's sort of driving up pressures on the available revenues. So, increasing spending at these amounts each year, combined with that cliff, is that just going to exacerbate where it's going to be maybe revenues fall? multi-billions of dollars short of, of where they need to be? You know, no, because like I said, they also need to do some fiscal reforms. I mean, if they literally did, as we suggested, on, on re-amortizing the pension ramp, they could save well over 50 to $60 billion, that's billion with a B, in debt service costs between now and fiscal year 2045. That's money that you don't have to put into debt service. Still get the pension systems over 80% funded, which is healthy, according to the GAO in Washington, D.C. Yes, the pension ramp would get them to 90% funded, but that 10-point differential is meaningless. You're healthy. And and then you could pick your next 30-year period to get up to 100% funded if you want at a much lower state contribution. So that one fiscal reform would more than accommodate of what you would need to fully fund the EBF on a timely basis and and to make the investments that the Pritzker administration does want to make in early childhood. And by the way, these these investments, and I, I use that word intentionally, yes, it's state spending, it's taxpayer dollars, but they're actually investments because they all have a they have a very solid rate of return. The 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 better job you do funding early childhood and K twelve the greater the wages go up in your state, the lower the crime rate goes, the lower the smoking rate goes, the lower the welfare costs go. So you get a, a significant bang for your buck in save taxpayer costs down the road by making these investments up front. And political systems generally aren't good at making decisions designed to be long-term benefits. They, you know, politicians have to respond to the crisis of the moment. And so they're always trying to cobble through this budget year, et cetera, et cetera. This long-term thinking isn't there. That's why I say they've got two to three years now where they should have enough revenue growth that they could work on getting these reforms in place, expanding the state sales tax base to include consumer services, uh, another thing that they should do. But if they do these very simple fiscal reforms, then they'd have more than adequate revenue to pay off their full pension debt, make adequate investments in education, rebuild the human services infrastructure, which has been decimated in the last 20 years in Illinois, and really have a state that's more focused on making appropriate investments of taxpayer dollars to generate the kind of outcomes we all want to see rather than trying to find a way to cobble through a very difficult situation. But no, that, that's why I throw the caution out there, Jerry, to be very clear. It's not like we've magically solved the state's long-term structural fiscal problems. We're in a bubble. It's a good bubble. It's a positive bubble. Part of the bubble is due to the responsible fiscal practices implemented by the Pritzker administration, 
but the bubble's going to end. And, and so during this interim period, we, we think these reforms are, are really something that the state decision makers ought to focus on. So they would have the capacity to make these investments. You talked about uh, re-amortizing the unfunded pension liability. Uh, that liability is frequently mentioned by rating agencies like Moody's and S&P. Uh, how do you think they would respond to uh, slowing down the paying off of that debt? Well, it wouldn't actually be slowing it down. What's interesting with, with what we suggest doing is actually putting more in up front uh, than what the current ramp calls for and then leveling the dollar amount out at a, at a level dollar. Like a mortgage would be amortized, right? You pay the same amount every year on your mortgage. Uh, we would have the state paying the same amount. So what that does is it actually improves the funded ratios of the pension systems quicker than the current law does. And the current law would then pass uh, our projected, you know, reamortization in funded ratio way down the road, like in the final three or four years, when the final payments would be bumping up to the 19, 20 billion dollar in a year level, whereas we'd have the whole payment structure leveled off at about 12 billion a year. So significantly lower payments, getting us healthier, faster, and more likely to have that healthy investment maintained over time. So we really have the kind of reamortization in mind that would, I think, generate positive comments from the bond rating agencies. And look, they don't like reamortization schemes for the most part, because for the most part, they're irresponsible. We have a great example from Governor Blagojevich, right? He did a reamortization, of course, any bad example. You could pick on Governor Bogoyevich, but he he did a reamortization. He issued pension bonds mm-hmm. and $10 billion worth of bonds, but he only used $7.3 billion of that to actually reamortize pension debt. He spent $2.7 billion, and that's the kind of thing. So he didn't change the arc at all. He literally incurred pension debt to cover current costs. You know, San Diego did that. Detroit did that. So, so the bond rating agencies are very leery of politicians that talk about reamortizing because they generally aren't doing it in a way designed to make the pension systems healthier, faster, putting more money in up front. But that's what we are suggesting being done. So, Ralph, I, I had wondered uh, the effects of inflation because you look at uh, the first budget approved under Governor Pritzker, it was roughly $40.1, $40.2 billion in spending that was allocated. And then you look at this one, $49.9 billion, that's 24% uh, growth. So how does inflation, that, that number sticks out as enormous, but how does inflation sort of contextualize that in the, the level of buying power in this budget compared to his first year? Yeah, it really levels the playing field, right? And so there has been a real increase over these few fiscal years. We haven't done the final analysis of that. But, you know, as of the end of last year, so last year was a big budget year, right? We put we had a general fund budget that was, uh, you know, $50 billion at the end of the day uh, with all the uh, excess revenue, yet we were still spending – 
about almost 16% less on education, health, social services, and public safety than we had in the year 2000 under Governor Ryan once you adjust for inflation. So when you do that, and, and that is, and Jerry, I'm glad you brought that up because you always have to do an analysis of spending in real terms. So given the super high rates of inflation the last year and a half, two years now, um, you're going to see in real terms while spending grew, it grew much less than that would that dollar amount differential would suggest. Okay, so uh, just to kind of look at the long-term picture here, you're saying right now the state's finances are looking okay, and the governor says because of that we can afford to make these new investments. But long-term, after, gov- after J.B. Pritzker is no longer the governor or someone else comes in, can Illinois can afford to keep funding these things in perpetuity? Not without some fiscal reforms, but that was always the case. And so I, I think what you have to do when you're looking at this stuff is, to Jerry's comment, put in context. For the last 20 years I've been doing this, the context of the state fiscal system was crisis after crisis after crisis. And what what terrible cuts will we have to make just to keep the, the fiscal wheels from falling off the state system altogether? Pritzker really deserves credit for flipping that discussion. You know, the actions that he's done you know, since he's been in office, you know, he, he repaid his COVID bottle rings early, almost $2 billion worth. He repaid all the unfunded money owed to the College Illinois Fund, $250 million. He, he made additional pension contributions, doesn't get enough credit for that, but he's put $700 million more into the pension system to what the ramp called for, a very responsible thing to do. He's paid down a backlog of bills from around close to $9 billion down to about $1.4 billion. Okay, incredibly responsible. He built up his UI trust fund. So what I'm saying is this administration has taken excess revenue and used it to structurally repair a lot of issues in the state. Back in the year, as, as recently as 2018, the state paid $981 million in late payment interest penalties. They had almost a billion bucks just because they were deadbeats and couldn't pay their bills. In 2023, that was down to $8 million, a 99% reduction. So we've got some structural reforms that have made some real fiscal differences in the state, but not enough. You know, J.B. Pritzker wanted to get his graduated rate income tax called the fair tax uh, it passed. It went through the House. It went through the Senate. Failed a referendum with the voters. If that had happened, uh, we'd have been generating another $3.6 billion in revenue, and, that, and, and only the top 3% in the state would be paying it. So we'd be in a really good position fiscally. Then the only thing left to do really would be a, a, even a smaller adjustment to the sales tax base and reamortizing the pension debt. But no, we still have to do a couple of things. The, the state's fiscal condition now is such that we could take the next two to three years to really say, all right, structurally, what is our in long-term imbalance between revenue growth and service cost growth look like? That's the structural deficit. And what fiscal reforms can we t- implement that would eliminate that structural imbalance? And there are you know, two or three that literally fix the problem without making Illinois 
anything close to being a high-tax state. In fact, that's really one of the biggest myths about tax policy, that Illinois is a high-tax state. When you look at every tax and every fee charged by any unit of government in Illinois, and you take that as a percentage of our income, we're in the bottom third in the country. We have the sixth largest population and the fifth largest economy. No one could say we're a high-tax state if we rank in the bottom third in total tax burden as a percentage of income. If we made the sales tax base reform that I'm suggesting, expanding the sales tax base to include consumer services, get be a tax increase. It'd be about two and a half billion, three billion dollar tax increase, and that would move us up from bottom third to bottom half. We'd still be in the bottom half of the country in total state and local tax burden as a percentage of income, yet we could afford our bills. So it's time to have this kind of rational discussion about the fiscal system that we need on the front end to make the investments in the middle that generate the positive outcomes on the back end everyone wants. Everyone wants good outcomes from our public school system. Everyone wants median and mean wage to go up in the state. Everyone wants to attract high-end employers to the state. Everyone wants to take care of people with mental health or developmental disabilities, senior citizens. Everyone wants to make sure that children that are running through the DCFS system get the appropriate supports. That all costs money. So to generate the outcomes that we expect from our public sector, they have to be adequately and sustainably financed. We're not at the point yet where we can say we could do that, but we're only a couple of reforms away from really building the capacity that we need to make a difference. Okay. Ralph Martiri, Executive Director of the Center for Tax and Budget Accountability, thank you for being here. Sure. Happy to be on the program. And that'll do it for this edition of Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with significant funding from the Robert McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock with Jerry Nowicki saying stay safe and thank you for listening.